Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts online podcast, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month's topic is on disability and representation, with Amit Sharma talking to writer, actor, campaigner and Grey Eye patron Matt Fraser. This podcast contains strong language. Welcome, everyone, to Grey Eye Podcast, and a massive welcome to Matt Fraser. Thank you very much, Amit. Sharma. Um, for those of you who don't know Matt, well, um, Matt is uh, an actor, uh, a theatre maker, uh, a television star. I've done some telly, and I'm easy to recognise because of my um, very different visual impairment, which is that I have short arms that end at about elbow length and then inward-turning hands with uh, four fingers and no thumbs, which is quite an unusual sight. So I hold that I get tele-recognised a lot more than non-disabled people would because you might see a famous person walking down the street 50 yards away and think, is, is that John Travolta? <laughs> I can't tell, I better not, just in case. But when you see Flipper Boy, uh, which I jokingly and colloquially call myself sometimes, uh, you know damn well it's that bloke from American Horror Story Freak Show or whatever the thing is. He's the same, got the same, got the same face, same impairment, yeah. must be him. Yeah. So I think I get spotted unnaturally more than I should do because of my impairment. There's so much political stuff happening at the moment. Gosh, I, was yes. trying to, I was trying to find the right word for it. Turmoil, upheaval. What, 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 what would be the word that you would describe political stuff at the moment. I don't have one word that adequately describes how I feel about the situation. I mean, you know, we are, we're, we're in a company that's all too aware that the cuts to social services for disabled people are having a, an, an awful effect on the arts. Notably, you know, there was mooted a workshop with Jenny Seeley, the artistic director of Grey Eye Theatre, myself and a couple of other people, that now can't even begin to be thought about until later in the year, because she's lost her access to work, mm. which is a government subsidy to help disabled people be fully functional in their workplace, mm. which actually is fiscally productive and mm. not reductive. Mm. Um, and that's a direct proof that things are getting worse and worse and worse. And I know that Jeremy Corbyn's democratic socialist vision of Labour and therefore the Britain, if they got into power, would reinstate a lot of those things, because a healthy, vibrant, diverse community that looks after all of its aspects, is a more productive Britain. When you first were politicised, yes. for example, mm. um, when was that moment? And what, what, was, what, was, what, was the, the, what was society like back, back yeah. then? Well, funnily enough, because I'm old, um, the climate was actually quite similar because we were living in the heart of Thatcherism. Mm. And as Nabil Shaban, our glorious founder, um, actually commented to me once, he said, you know, it was funny, in the 80s, um, which saw the destruction of the unions, the destruction of traditional working class politicised social groups, Thatcher's, um, you know, there's no such thing as society, we're all individuals, sell off the council homes and all that kind of vibe. As that came in, the only group that got stronger as a, a protest group were disabled people. Everybody else, first wave feminism, um, several other aspects of it, sort of trying to create a more fair society were in um, subdued mode during early Thatcherism. But no one, took, no one gave a fuck about us, did they? But we were the only group that, that flourished, mostly because no one was looking. Yeah. No one else was looking. You know, and I was politicised right from A-level sociology 
which is where I got my sense of right and wrong and politics. I didn't consider myself a disabled person because I saw disability in the medical context mm. and I could do everything. So I wasn't, you know, and I was a punk drummer. And it was very rare that society went, you can't do this thing you want to do because you're disabled. Because I lived in the world of punk drumming where it was F the system and do what you want. So very rarely was I confronted with disabledism until I decided to become an actor. In 1994, uh, my mother and my brother did a pincer movement, I now retrospectively realise, and they took me to see Ubu Roi, the Grey Eye show mm. at Oval House with Jamie Bedard. And up to that point, I thought it was embarrassing for normal people, inverted commas, to watch disabled people on stage. It would have to be an exercise in PC willingness and love, not just this looks like fun, I'll go to it. I couldn't believe that could happen. That's how oppressed I was. And um, I went to see the show and I looked round. First of all, I didn't understand what Jamie said for the first five minutes, because sometimes it, with somebody with profound CP, it takes five minutes to tune in, as mm. I like to call it. Mm. And this, this bloke with CP was naked, spitting cake at a woman, a wheelchair user. And it was utter chaos on stage. And I looked round and the whole packed audience were thrilled and loving it. And I was like, oh, I've got this wrong. Um, I've done my, my drumming career and I really wanted to act. I realised that barrier had been removed for me now. I was like, oh, I could do this. But it's all because of one thing that happened. I got an audition for 2000 AD which was a film with Sylvester Stallone about Judge Dredd. And in Judge Dredd, the comic book, mm. there are lots of mutants. And I thought, oh, I could audition as a mutant because I've got the mutancy and I've also got two foot long dreadlocks and loads of fetish gear. I look really cool. It, and just how the mutants seem to be depicted in the thing. And when I went to the audition at Pine Tree, they basically said, you can't play a mutant because you're a real mutant. Whoa. And they didn't say those words, but that's what they meant. Yeah. And it, it, I also went away slightly as if I'd been punched in the face and I was sort of starstruck. And it simmered and it festered. And Eldaf, the London Disability Arts Forum, were at the Diorama at the time, and they had a magazine called Disability Arts in London, Dale Magazine. It was run by a man called Kit. And I walked in, and I was so full of this confusion and anger and stuff. And they spotted it a mile off. I must have had it like a halo over my head. Watch out for this one. He's about to go. And they sat me down. And of course, I was surrounded by Kit and two other people. He went, what happened? And he put on his therapy voice. He went, what happened, Matt? What's been going on? Mm. And I just went, Wah! and unleashed it all. And was in tears and really felt the pain. And it was, that was at that moment. I was not the same after that. I couldn't go back. I couldn't pretend I wasn't disabled. Mm. I couldn't pretend I was being treated like shit because I was disabled. Mm. And I couldn't pretend there wasn't a cultural apartheid against mm. disabled people in the arts. And it became everything I lived about. When, when, you've, when you've had that moment, what else, what else started to come into your world that, that perhaps... Oh, that, that all the politics I had mm. related to all the disability stuff. Yeah. And that I could just bring the disability module and put it, place it into my politics and the rest would just take care of itself. Mm. And before I knew where I was, I was on a, I went on a disability rights demo um, outside Parliament and somebody sort of sidled up to me and went, you know, there's a group called Direct Action Network. We do, we go a little bit further with our demonstrations. <laughs> and I was right up my street. I'd been on the poll tax riot. Yeah. I, I'm 
not a pacifist. And I believe that if the forces of, of oppression and power are violent, you are legitimised in being violent back to them. And what happened was, I went on a demonstration, Ewan Marshall was there, some grey-eyed people were there, yeah. the new people who I really respected in my world, who I wanted to be a part of. Um, and we closed down Parliament Square, just 200 of us, closed it down. This is before the police had guns and tasers. We closed it down and it was immensely powerful because I do believe that the power of demonstration lies in the individual demonstrator and how it makes them feel about themselves and what they can and can't do with the world. Because of course they swept us all away and life carried on and um, just about made the local news. But I, I was, I had the fire, you know, that was it. Everything I did was about making disabled people more equal. Mm. And I realized it was probably best done in the arts. And I'm gonna jump forward five years. I was under a bus. I had handcuffed myself with another Dana to the exhaust pipe of a single-decker electric powered bus. Not knowing that when the ignition turned off, the uh, compression would change and the bus would slowly, slowly sink to the ground on top of its wheel hubs and probably flatten us. Right, so the driver <laughs> angrily told us this fact. He said, that's why I'm keeping the engine on. Right. And I turned to my compadre, who I don't really know really well. I wish I could remember who it was, because I should thank her. Maybe she remembers, and she'll hear this one day. And it's funny, you know, I should be on audition. I'm an actor. I, I, I got auditioned, but this is much more important. She looked at him and went, you're stupid fucking wanker. I can't act. I can't show people how we want to live on stage, but you can. Anybody can go under here, right? Off you go. You go and fight that our fight on stage because that's where you should do it. I can't do it there. You wow. can, go and do it. And you know, that was it. That was the final stitch, you know, in my, in my wound. <laughs> <laughs> Society had wounded me. And, and I finally stitched it up and went off to be a proactive, politicized, disabled theater maker and theater participant pretty much only interested in work that dealt with the issues at that time. And what other changes have you seen, like in, in, your, in your time as an actor, whether it's theatre, whether mm. it's TV, mm. have, there, have there been any changes? Yeah, well that was 20 years ago. Yeah. And there have been huge changes, mostly in the last five years or so, I feel. Yeah. I think you guys, Grey Eye, have been obviously pivotal in making these changes happen. And I think, you know, whether it's because of, or whether it ran in parallel, because there's a zeitgeist of feeling, isn't there, often politically and culturally. But you guys created the possibility for mainstream theatres to not be scared of disability and know that they could work with Grey Eye or with a group of disabled actors and come up with a mainstream production that's called mainstream, that deals with disability, that their audiences won't be scared of. Hugely important. Mm. Um, because it's all very well making the wonderful work we were making, but if no one else is watching it, mm. how, where do we go from there? Mm. You know, so I think there's a real part played there. But I also think that that society changed. You know, we had Blair's Britain, Gordon Brown's Britain, and I know currently they're getting a drubbing, mm. but they were a lot bloody better than Thatcher. You know what I mean? Mm. Sure, they helped the bankers a little bit, but disabled people got benefits, and you know, culturally, gay people, disabled people, women. Uh, abortion, all these issues came back on the table and were slightly liberalised again. Mm. You know, when we, and we started popping up here and there on telly, didn't we, occasionally? Mm. Mm. I mean, I was one of those poppers, I suppose, occasionally. 
you know. Well, you, I remember you on the uh, the mobile phone ad. Yeah, that was know. my big one, man. That, but that was that was that was so awesome. Like it was I, radical, I, wasn't it? I suppose totally, looking back, it was totally. Yeah. You know, because because it's it, that's that wasn't in the last five years. No, and those adverts on, uh, have come out post. You know, I, I suppose even um, the Brazil Olympics. Really, mm. it wasn't necessarily there after the London Olympics. No, um, but you know. That, that there was there was that there was you having your your documentary series mm. on Channel Four. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There were, there were a lot of great things. When I did the cage fighting documentary, I did a, a, a documentary on cage fighting to show that it wasn't a brutal blood spot, <laughs> which it's hard to persuade me. <laughs> it really looks like that. There's lots of blood and there's lots of cage. Um, the Channel Four offered me a series of documentaries called Matt Fraser's Extreme Worlds. Think Go With Noakes or Duncan Dares, but with flippers. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt I really wanted to be an actor and Channel 4 wanted me to be a presenter. And maybe I made a mistake back then, but I held out and didn't do what they wanted yeah. and continued to occasionally to work in theatre instead. But um, so that's what was going on. So maybe I made a mistake and I went off and sort of um, produced a, a musical, Thalidomide musical. Mm learnt about Arts Council applications and touring in small and mid-scale theatre. I learned and wrote a paper on how to market your product when the local paper just wants to write a tragedy story. Um, I remember I did Thalidomide Musical. It was a B-movie, horror-style, very un-PC take on the Thalidomide history. And, you know, I had a nurse with her boobs showing, I had a chainsaw, I had a psychotic plastic surgeon from Brazil cutting the limbs off babies. It was pretty full on. It was pretty full on. And yeah, <laughs> and yet, when I went to Dorset, or wherever the hell it was, yeah. it was Brave Thalidomide Victim Does Show About Traumatic Life. I thought, if I read that headline, I would not want to see that show. I learned how to market stuff. Point of case, don't have an interview, only given a choice of three shots that you've chosen, don't let them come and take their own photos, and watch out for the fact that they're going to try and veer it to personal stories about how you grow up and was it bad, and always try and get it back to the product. We're still having conversations around non-disabled people playing disabled parts. Oh lordy we are. Um, and there's inevitably the conversation which kind of goes, actors should play actors. Why can't non-disabled people play disabled parts? Um, and I think it's just about a level playing field. The Palestinian-born American comedian, Maisun Zaid, has, has, has honed it into one phrase. If I can't play Beyonce, Beyonce can't play me. She's got cerebral palsy and it's quite apparent. Okay. And I'm like, eh, that's pretty, pretty much it. Yeah. You know, if I can play Winston Churchill, sure, Gary Oldman can play me. But without a level playing field, it, it, that whole acting is acting thing it, it, it is fine for the winners, but not for the losers. Yeah. <clears throat> and if it really needs to be equal, then we should all play everybody. And I'd like to see more productions like that, yeah. which mix it up in a fun way, where the women play the men, the men play the women, racial, disability. Let's have fun and see what com happens. We're going to see stuff like that, because that's, that's going to be happening. And do you, do, you, do you get a sense that that fun is... Is brewing or I think it's brewing. Place? I think yeah. it's brewing. Yeah. I think taking place, it's up to the likes of you and me, really, yeah. for it to take place. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's definitely brewing, and I'd like to see it because it's a burning issue that keeps going on. You know, 
uh, I don't want to get too specific because the listeners to this might not be aware of the things, but I'm just going to take two cases in point. Mm-hmm. Brian Cranston, mm-hmm. who recently playing a wheelchair user, no need for him to do that. Um, you know, it's very cut and dried for me, that one. I get it with the star thing. That is the problem, and we need to start, and I've been telling producers this for years, you need to start grooming good disabled actors. Mm. Give them the roles, get them the status, because otherwise we're never going to get those big roles. Because I, I do understand it, because it's about money. But then um, the theory of everything, with Eddie Redmayne, playing an able-bodied, then a little bit not so able-bodied, then quite disabled, but impaired, and then profoundly impaired, Stephen Hawking. That's a harder one to argue, isn't it? Yeah. And I hate using that one, because it's, there's so many grey areas in that. But when you're just playing a regular wheelchair user that should and could be played by a regular wheelchair user, then it should be. And I'm very clear about that. And I mean, like with, with, the, with the Eddie Redmayne example, mm. you know, there was the, the film of Bob Dylan. And there were different people who played oh, that's Bob right. Dylan. Yeah. And like, it is, it, is, it is harder because it's not as clear cut because, mm. of, because of the journey of, mm. uh, of, a, of a person like Stephen Hawking. Mm. But but we are artists, right? You know, yes. our, our our job is we have a particular way we we view the world and a particular yeah, the way we want to kind of express it. Um, some may kind of go actually. There's a that's a really good example mm. of of a film about Bob Dylan. It was it's done a, in a way. It's a wonderful example, Emmett, and you're right. And they could have done that. Yeah. And I would have loved to have seen that version. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should argue to do that more. Yeah. Because. The refuseniks, or the people who are scared of having us, will always use that as an, oh no, we need them for the one minute scene when they're walking at the beginning of the five hour film, where they're just going to be wheelchairs for the rest of the five hour film. But for that one minute, we need them to be walking. So it'll have to be an able bodied actor, I'm afraid. Yeah. I remember when Andrew, Andrew McClay, who's a wheelchair using actor, myself and Dave Kent were in 1997 ITV's The Unknown Soldier. We were all First World War injured. I was playing double amputee, blah, blah, blah. And we had to do a flashback scene for when we were leaving the trenches. And we faked it the other way around. And it was fine. Mm. And it was easy. And I'm like, uh, 1997, guys. That <laughs> yeah. YouTube it. Yeah. ITV. So what, what, what does the future hold, do you think? The, coming back to the, the very beginning, there's a mm. lot of our people. There's a lot of turmoil. Yeah. Um, the stuff around Brexit and the parties having these splits and everything is it's taking a lot of a lot of attention at the moment. Uh, meanwhile, back on the ground, mm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really tough place to be a disabled person, um, a disabled artist, yet the, it feels like there are opportunities that are presenting themselves, but the support isn't there in, in, in other yeah. ways. So it's... It is weird, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Like the providers of the opportunities are like opening their doors. We want, we want we to work with you. we can't afford the transport to get there because the government took it away. Yeah. And my worry is, if you were to do a current piece about the socio-political experience of a poor disabled person, which we, you and I, Amit, might think, oh, this is a wonderful cross-section, hardcore view of reality life with disabled... People are going to see it as anti-Tory propaganda Mm. and be less interested in it because Mm. it... But... And so we're caught, literally, again, as the victim of a situation. So there's that happening at the grassroots ground level it's really particularly unfair for the less physically able people who need more assistance Mm. to get to do their job Mm. isn't it it's very unfair Mm. 
I would call myself a mid-career artist, okay? And I realised about five, six years ago, I'm horrifically ambitious. I mean, I do want an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, I'll be honest about it. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'll ever get one, but I strive for it, right? I also strategize about how it's possible to enable society to be framed in a way that allows a disabled person to have one. Yeah. You know, and what, what's the product got to be for that to happen? And all of those things. And I'm constantly worrying it around in my mind. But one of the things I'm doing is trying to make myself as well known as possible. Because I realize that is always the argument they have, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, no, we need someone famous. Yeah. Otherwise, they won't bankroll the film. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I get it. So I'm not going to get the work unless I'm better known. I'm trying to do work that gets me better known um, and encourage television work and stuff like that um, for those reasons. And but at some I, stage, you're going you're gonna to hit the media. Yeah, right? uh, yes. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the, the depictions and the way disabled people are talked about, it, you will have to deal with that. Yes, and hopefully my interviewer will be Trevor Noah. <laughs> yeah. But knowing my luck, it'll be Piers Morgan. Which, which you know, okay, if it is Piers Morgan. If it's Piers Morgan, it's gonna be very unfortunate live television. <laughs> <laughs> they might have to like, do a pre-record. I think, um, I don't know if I'll be able to handle it, because I am very confrontational, you know, and he's such an arsehole, but <laughs> I don't know if I could take it. Whereas when Trevor Noah did that thing recently well to listeners so he the Brian Cranston portraying a, a wheelchair user brought forth a lot of debate and it was on Twitter and it was fiery and Trevor Noah in one of his discussive in between the scenes takes mm. eulogised upon the subject he didn't name the actor the disabled actor in question who'd complained about it and brought it to his attention which I felt was a shame but he had to, and I was I actually got quite depressed about that because I like Trevor Noah he's on top of it he gets everything and yet he was so far behind on our subject. I thought, wow, is this, is this where liberal mainstream has gone? To thinking, oh, they might have a point, you know. They're a little bit angry, but they might have a point. And I'm, I'm okay. okay. Um, however, he got there. And we will get there again soon with another thing, because a repeat offending will happen. And every time our articulation and profiled articulation of response to that will become more mainstream. Yeah. Now people are going to find a disabled person to comment on the next thing yeah. without there being a funeral because they remember the last one. They're going to want that. So we're all going to get more sophisticated about the argument. And I think within five years, it should be dead in the water. What's, what year is it? Let's mark 2019. this moment. 2019. Let's mark this moment. In 2K19. five years' time, there will be no able-bodied people in profound roles about disability. What other markers shall we kind of lay down? Well, I'd like, I, I, I want to see a disabled actor get a best actor or, a, or actress. I, for me, it's a non-gender specific word now, sure. so it's hard, but yeah. in categories, it's still genderized, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. And Peter Dinklage doesn't count, okay, because he's already had one. <laughs> <laughs> I love him and all. Um, and he's, he's wonderful, and, and goodness me, he's helped change the landscape at the top, right? Um, but, but no, I mean, you know, something a little bit more testing of the academy, shall yeah, we say. Yeah, you know, and, and, and A proper spazzer. And, and, <laughs> and here as well. Yeah, oh, the, Bif- you know? the BAFTAs. I'm surprised. But then, I, t- I do know this, and you know, I've just done BBC's His Dark Materials for Bad Wolf Production Company, who do a lot of work with the BBC and Channel 4. And I have to tell you, there has been a change. Yeah. There really has. 
They would never, ever cast a non-disabled person as a disabled character now. And they'd also actively seek places where it would be, inverted commas, okay if that role was done by a disabled person. Now, they might not quite be as far down that road as sure, we are, sure. but hell, they've started. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really important. Yeah. You know, I, I've bashed the producers a little bit because I felt like I was the only disabled person on it. And I'm like, they killed me off at the end of the first book, which is fine, my character had to go. But they're doing the second book uh, this year. And I'm going to, and I'm meeting one of the producers on Monday just for a chat, a cup of tea about something else. And I'm going to say, you better have like at least two in this series. Yeah. Like you better double it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's lots out there, and it's a fantasy, it's a parallel universe fantasy with, in worlds that don't exist. Don't tell me you can't have disabled people in those places, right? You can. And they know it, and they're looking. You know, so and I there's think, good actors, yeah. actresses Well, out here's there. the real difference, Sammy. I went, I did a, I did that Shakespeare, the Globe, Shakespeare's birthday, do sonnets and scenes at the Westminster Abbey. Mm. And I was like, oh, great, love it. Yeah, 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 not my phone. Yeah, thanks, that's oh, really great. Put the phone down. Tokenism, you know. So I go along, I walk in, and for the first time in my life, there are two other disabled people in the company. Four black women. This is the globe, am it? <laughs> now it's Amy Trigg and Michael, um, the Irish fella who was in Government Inspector. King, King, and they are. And I was like looking at it with these like joyful. We're all here, isn't it amazing? Eyes, and they're like, no, what? Who are you? You know, kind of like a bit like that. And I'm like, so, so was it a real struggle? And they're like, no, I just went to drama school, drama school. You know, and of course the new breed, they've all been to drama school. Yeah, they all expect have a mainstream career yeah and they're getting one yeah and that's a huge shift yeah and of course now with austerity and the turmoil of current british overland politics as one might call it the the the, the groundswell of 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 artists looking to talk about stuff like disability is happening and now we've got these great actors who've been trained to go and do it it's very exciting yeah very exciting and you know like yeah, no, just the, the you know the the um, the RSC <gasps> are doing it. You know, um, at the Royal Exchange, uh, I was there, and Nikki Nikki Wilding yeah. was there as well. It's like two that's disabled right. directors. Yeah, and they in oh, I don't know if this is there's ramps on the moon. You know, like they, yeah, it, 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 but they didn't. I don't. This sounds awful of me to say, but they didn't have to do that. Totally, but they wanted to. Totally, and that's the difference. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, 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 yeah. They're not we in, used to have to first bully them to do it, then ask them to do it. Now they just want to do it. That's big. It does feel as if things are shifting, and there's a there's a there's a desire not because it's being not not, be, not only because it's funding related, mm. um, but it's because actually this is the right thing to do. But it is the right thing to do. It's representation, you know. Mm. Um, it, it, di- the word diversity, I think, is is kind of starting to become a bit meaningless for me. But representation. Is is really yeah. proactive. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of just goes. It, it, you don't you don't need a book. You don't need any guidelines. You just look at it and kind of go. Is society being represented on this stage? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than is diversity. Mm. And nothing about us without us has been topped by just nothing without us. Yeah. And you know, I'm like, okay, I'm on board. Good. Um, it's hard when you used to be the old radical. I still feel radical inside, but I'm being superseded by other people. Radicalism, that is, allowing radicalism to belong in the mainstream. Yeah. 
And I'm like, no, it belongs in my agitprop corner. <laughs> I've got my back to the wall. I know where I am. Yeah. Fuck everybody. Yeah. Can't do that anymore. I have to stand in the middle of the room. You know, yeah. and it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm not used to it. The younger kids, that's what they want to do. And I love it. I yeah. love it. What do we do with all those old, wonderful old actors who think they can't act when they become disabled? Because... Yeah. Or would hide it. Or hide it. Because, because we could do with their experience. Totally. And their mentorship in acting. Yeah. And I think... It's about... That's something I'd like to see Grey Eye do. It's I bar mean, raising, isn't it? Yeah. It's constantly bar raising. It's not to say Pull what's gone before mm. is, has been bad, but it's about bar raising. The kind of, let's keep, let's keep pushing, let's keep mm. pushing, and let's, see if, and, and let's see if we can overtake... And I want Marsha Cardova, I hope I've said her name right, uh, the Shadow Minister for Disability, black woman who's blind. I, I want to see her in power. Yeah. I want to see her regularly on talk shows. Yeah. And us understanding blindness. Yeah. You know, um, because that's big too. Yeah. When an important politician has a disability, that does a huge amount. Totally. You know, I want to see the film about FDR. Mm-hmm. Franklin D. Roosevelt, the wheelchair using Franklin D. Roosevelt, whose bodyguards had black paint and a brush in their pockets because he had calipers on that were painted black, but sometimes they would scuff and it would show a glint of silver, which might pick up on the lights of the photo opportunity. And they developed a technique where they would pretend to tie their shoelaces, but what they actually did was touching up his caliper with black paint. That actually happened. That was real history. That's real disability history. Mm. I want to see that film. Mm. I want to see these things. Mm. You know, I also want to see new things. But I want to, you know, lest we forget, yeah, there have totally. been some great ones in the past and yeah. they need bigging up. Yeah, you know? yeah totally. <laughs> you know, I want, to see, I want to see America decide they don't want this photo of the standing Franklin D. Roosevelt. They're going to replace it with a photo of him in a wheelchair because mm. he was powerful and a wheelchair user. Yeah, yeah. He was a wonderful president and a disabled person. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot to do. But I think now that I'm out of the terrifying trauma of the angst of the furor and the turmoil of it all. I've got, I, I, I see what the job is in hand. I see how to do it. But the time is now, the place is here yeah, to totally. make disability appear to be more like what it really is in the real world, on our screens and on our stages and in our headphones and on our speakers. Pleasure, Matt. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thank It's you. been a good chat. Yeah, thank you. Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for further details on productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities.